right, welcome to another edition of the Forefathers Podcast, everybody. Week two of David Lund sitting out. Apparently, when you have five kids, they require parenting and shuttling to and from events and all of the general things that go with that. So I am not joined by Dave tonight, but fear not. We have our other two compatriots, Doug and Todd. Uh, Terrible weekend for golf. Great weekend for sports in general, though. Uh, Doug, checking in from the Madison campus. How are we doing? Uh, we'd be doing better if Lewis Hamilton didn't just force Max to run into him. Oh, in okay. I was, oh, I was worried where you were headed there uh, for non-F1 people. There was an F1 race today at the Temple of Speed in Monza. Great uh, I would like to unpack that. I was worried that you're a Lewis Hamilton guy, the way you were starting that take. And then <laughs> I felt a lot better how it ended. So we'll unpack that in just a second. Todd Majestic, Browns, tough loss, great moral victory, question mark? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think realistically, you you go in and you want it to be close. The last three years, the Browns have started getting blown out by uh, Tennessee, by Baltimore. So being able to go against the uh, the juggernaut of the Chiefs, keeping it close, having a chance to win it, moral victory. Uh, yeah, and sadly, we, we went 0 for 3 with our team's in NFL today, I think Douglas Packers Ooh. have some uh, splaining to do today. Unless the Saints are the 72 Dolphins, I'm worried about what I saw in week one from from this team. Is, is Rodgers Funk bringing the whole team down? This was – we forgot it was a 17-game season. This was okay. preseason game four. Ah, gotcha. We'll be, we'll be all right next week. Rogers doesn't like Florida. I don't know how I mean, how many other Packers homer excuses I can throw out there, but <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll keep them coming. It was awful. Goodness. Yeah. I, I didn't – candidly, I didn't see a lot of the game. I just saw the final score. I saw uh, – the only highlight I saw was Rogers throw an interception and then start grabbing at his hamstrings uh, like immediately after. So uh, I'll, I'll pray for him. Todd, you and I are in the same boat. My Cowboys narrowly – pulled defeat from the jaws of victory against the Super Bowl champ Buccaneers. Again, same thing. I, I feel like our our teams had a, were a mirror image of each other this week where toe-to-toe on the road against some uh, NFC, AFC juggernauts, we stood toe-to-toe, battled them, thought we were going to win this thing, and then, you know, the superstars are the superstars, and – Patrick does Patrick Mahomes things. Uh, your punter helped out a little bit. And uh, next thing you know, both of us are 0-1. Or all three of us are 0-1. And it doesn't matter how we got there. A loss is a loss, sadly. Yeah. We'll we'll learn. We'll get better. That's and, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll On to the next up. one. Yeah. Uh, and for those of you waiting around for golf, I promise it's coming. The only tournament of note ironically was in my backyard the ascension charity classic (laughs) on the senior tour uh it was at a course where i bought a round for four at this auction at my school and i tried to connect with the guy a couple of times on dates and we never could so sadly i don't know if that (laughs) statute of limitations has passed so i have not been out to norwood hills yet but i would like to get there I also did not get out there for the senior tour. I know people are saying you're a golf podcast. You should have been there. Todd went to the Symmetra tour. Step up, Brian. Well, here's the problem, people. The seniors play three days. Friday is a school day. I have to teach. Uh, Yesterday, uh, Colin had a soccer game, and I wanted to play golf, so I did not go out there. And Sunday... Uh, you know, Megan had a volleyball game. Colin had a couple soccer games. So life gets in the way. And uh, yeah, we didn't make it. <laughs> Maybe next year we'll get out there. So uh, don't come at me, uh, all five of you, for not going out there. We'll be fine. But it allows us some leeway at the beginning of this episode to talk about things non-golf specific as we usher in the NFL season. And I think 
this is what fall now finally feels like. It may still be 95 degrees outside, but now that I'm watching NFL and college football on the weekends, I just feel like the next 16 weeks, 17 weeks now, I guess Doug would say, it's Groundhog Day. I just look to see who's playing Saturday, who's playing Sunday, and how can I shape my weekend around? How many games can I watch? How many will Jill let me get away with? Uh, Doug, do you feel like fall is truly here? Yeah, it was. We uh, we have a tradition of throwing red zone on for seven hours in our house, and whatever mm-hmm. we're doing, it's just on at all times. And uh, it it felt like a nice rhythm of life back. Um, Wisconsin is underperforming. Texas is underperforming. Oof. It's you know these are these are the rhythms we're used to, Brian. <laughs> Well said. These are the rhythms we're used to because if Jill were here, she'd be like, yep, Brian was in midseason form last night. They Texas pulls me in with the win against Louisiana Lafayette, ranked team. I'm thinking, all right, these guys are for real, legit team. They played kind of like an athletic quarterback. Arkansas had an athletic quarterback. And then, oh, man, I watched like a quarter and a half, and I shut it down. We, I, I sat there and watched Michigan instead. That that tells you how bad it is. I'm laying on the couch letting Jill watch Michigan. So college football is over and done for us. Todd, 2-0, and oh, the Bearcats. Yeah. Where, uh, I didn't see the rankings today. Did they move up? They did not. They stayed at eight. Which um, is ludicrous, but okay. Quick, quick. Discussion about this. Oregon jumped from 12 to 5. That seems pretty high for that win, but okay. Iowa (laughs) jumped from 10 to 6. Yep. I'm like, come on. UC, granted, they beat Miami of Ohio and Murray State. Yep. But Alabama also beat Weber State. (laughs) Exactly. And and no one jumped over them, right? So Texas AM. Almost got beat. They needed like a last second touchdown to win 10 7. And they're and their still quarterback, ahead. And their quarterback got hurt. And no one's worried about, like, well, what's their team going to be like? But right. UC uh, has a couple big games coming up Indiana, Notre Dame. Um, and I think if they win both of those games, then they won't be able to get jumped if they continue to win. So we're hoping for those. And uh, we'll see. Yeah, I know you want Notre Dame to stay as high as it can. That's a travesty that they only fell four spots or whatever it was after they narrowly beat Florida State, who this week lost to like Jacksonville State, and now they need they almost lost to Toledo at home. And you're telling me, oh yeah, we'll drop them three spots. No, th- if this was Maryland or something, they'd be out of the rankings. Get out well, of I here. Think, I think kind of it is only matters if it's a ranked team, right? Because Iowa yeah. beat Iowa beat um, Indiana, not Indiana. Who they beat last week? Uh, Iowa State. Oh no, that's Iowa, who they beat this week. Yeah, they beat two ranked teams and jumped six spots. So as long as Notre Dame is ranked when UC beats them. Yep. That's they beat the, your that's aforementioned they Hoosiers. They beat Indiana. Ah, that's right. Which you don't want, I don't think. But uh, We just got to beat them by more. That's all. That's right. And uh, that concludes uh, UC football talk. Yeah, that concludes <laughs> talking soccer or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, before we turn it over to golf, F1 is normally a snooze fest for me. Today was something completely Oof. different. I think it was the podium everybody expected. The Ricardo Norris Botas, uh, thanks to a Perez five-second penalty uh, podium. Uh, as I've talked about, I rep Ricardo, his first win since 2018. I couldn't believe, look, I'll admit, I'm a poser. I'm a newbie to F1. When I heard the graphic, this is the first race that McLaren has led more, or McLaren has led X number of laps in nine years. I was like, good Lord, what what wagon did I hitch my fandom to here? Uh, But it was awesome. And you can't convince me that Verstappen didn't, like, tactically take out uh, Hamilton. I know he was, it was tight. But after Verstappen had that 12-second pit stop, I know he knew it was over with catching Hamilton. And so if I have the chance to kind of put him in the wall a little bit like uh, Hamilton did to him earlier this year, 
I say he's like, all right, we'll cancel it out. We'll start again in two weeks. So, Doug, do you think that's true, or do you think he just got caught and uh, Hamilton was uh, putting his elbows out too wide? Uh, Hamilton was definitely putting his elbows out too wide. First of all, as I'm about to make a pro-max take, uh, I'm glad Lewis is all right. He seems yes. like a super nice guy. Yes. I would root for Lewis. Uh, if I had come into Formula One, not just now, and Lewis was essentially the 1920s Yankees, uh, I could easily root for him. Exactly. Uh, I'm glad he's healthy. That being said, Lewis absolutely <laughs> did not give Max any room. Uh, and I can't believe they faulted Max for the crash. If you haven't seen it, if you don't know what we're talking about, if you Google Max Lewis crash, you will see photos where Max's car essentially ends up on top of Lewis. Uh, thankfully, they're only going... 30, 40 miles an hour at the time. Um, but I think you're right. Max was super frustrated that his pit stop went long. And he saw Lewis popping out there. And I think he just said, screw this. I'm already down this far. I'm passing Lewis right now. Yeah. Uh, I think he probably thought he could still win because he said he could go about a second faster per lap if he could just get That's past a good point. Ricardo. Uh, and he just said, screw it. There's like two turns to pass on this course and I'm going to pass them right here. And, uh, was a bit, didn't need to go for the pass there. Lewis didn't give him room. Max probably didn't need to go for that pass there and could have saved his car. But I think what, what and with, with the exception of the two top people taking it off. And I will say, Uh, To echo your statements with Hamilton, I watched an interview on Netflix. David Letterman had like his Netflix special where he interviews people and he Lewis Hamilton is one of his guests for an hour. And hearing Lewis's backstory is amazing. And uh, I love him as a person. But like you said, I just can't root for him. It's too easy. It's too obvious. And so uh, Mm -hmm. it just can't be that guy, uh, despite what I think about him off the track. Uh, the, just to see, there wasn't a whole lot of passing, like watching Lando take a overtake Leclerc when he was going through the grass through some of it was amazing. But, but I felt like those moments were few and far between. Like it it pretty much was a parade of Ricardo and uh, Norris just taking it home after the first, after the pit stops. And it only re- and watching Botas go from twentieth to third only reinforced to me that man, there's got to be something about these cars to regulate them. I don't want it to be NASCAR, but when one Mercedes and Red Bull are so much better than the other teams that they can just like weave their way through the field like this, and it doesn't matter. Like that's not fun to watch. I liked it when it felt everybody was packed up and there was a little more uh, uncertainty mm-hmm. to things. So we'll have to pay attention to what they think the spending cap will do. Cause that's part of next year. Yes. I mean, right now Mercedes and Red Bull spend literally like half a billion dollars and the other teams like don't even have a hundred million to spend. So, I mean, it's, it is unfair. That's a good point. All right. Uh, we prolonged enough. People are clamoring for golf, so we have to come back. That's all we can talk about F1. Dave is irate listening to this in his minivan on his way to work, I'm sure, at this point. So to make Dave happy, the bit of golf news in the world that matters is that Europe finally, two weeks before the event, has solidified their team after the BMW PGA this week. Uh, kudos to Billy Horschel for doing something after it doesn't matter anymore and winning that. Uh, he did put out a little snark saying Stricker did not call him after the U.S. Ryder Cup was announced. And he felt like he was a little peeved, a little miffed that he thought he was one of those guys that was next in line enough to where should have given him the thumbs up or down. I don't know. I mean, that's a. I don't know if I ever saw Billy Horschel in my <laughs> prognosticating. So he wanted, the, he wanted the rejection letter. He didn't. Yeah, exactly. Just the cold shoulder. <laughs> Show me the respect of telling me no to my face, sir. Uh, so anyway, so Billy Horschel is not on there. So here are our studs. Just to remind everybody, we got Daniel Berger, straight vibing, Patrick Cantlay, <laughs> 
No Laying Up calls him the Treadstone Assassin uh, from the Born Identity stuff. I think it's so great. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau, Harris English, Tony Finau, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Colin Morikawa, Xander Shoffley, Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth, and Justin Thomas. Uh, I don't know how those guys lose. Roll out the balls. They're going to win before singles even happens, right? Uh, and then against them... Trying to pull oh, this is bad radio right now. Trying to pull this up. Paul Casey, Matt Fitzpatrick, Tommy Fleetwood, Sergio Garcia, Tyrrell Hatton, Victor Hovland, Shane Lowry, Rory McElroy, Ian Poulter, John Rahm, Burnt Wiesberger over Justin Rose, essentially, and Lee Westwood. I think Wiesberger uh, earned his way in, and Lowry, from all indications, got the final of the three captains' picks over Justin Rose. So, hearing those two lineups, Doug, Team Europe has no chance, right? If they were playing stroke play, they'd have no chance. Oh, oh, okay. So, uh, they're just so much better in match play than that. I'm just assuming, and to all our listeners, next week we'll have our Ryder Cup full breakdown podcast. Uh, So I won't get too thick in the weeds, but I have to imagine everybody's talked about Stricker setting this up as a bomber's paradise and uh, hitting it long is going to be key. I just wonder if guys like Matt Fitzpatrick, Ian Poulter, Wiesberger, are those types of guys, they're fine players. I just don't know if this is the ballpark for them. And so... I don't know if that puts more pressure on a guy like Rom, who player of the year, everybody says is going to dominate. Or at least I don't know if he feels like he's going to have to dominate, I should say. And if that puts pressure on them, Todd, should the Europeans feel pressure or no? I don't think so. They keep, you know, last, last Ryder cup. It was look at the dream team that the United States has. And they walked over to France and played in, got shellacked right and <laughs> yeah. and the thing is that's different is that i looked this up before there are only i think two people on the european Ryder cup team that didn't play in the pga championship in 2015 at whistling straits mm-hmm. so the u.s goes to wherever country in europe they're going to play this course and has no idea what it is but all these professionals have played the course before so they're not going to be surprised and plenty of them hit it far enough to be able to, to play out there. So, and it comes down to putting most of the time anyway. And a lot of, a lot of those Europeans, I want them taking the putts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do know what you're saying. Doug, is he on to something? Is that the recipe? Is it just a matter of hot putters and, you know, in a 50, 50 crap shoot, Europe's just gotten lucky a couple more times recently than us. Uh, I know we've had hot putters too. There is something to be the knowing the course. That's an interesting take. I hadn't thought of that before. The fact that, uh, when we play in America, it's all these courses they know. Um, there's something about how they play in like the partner matches. Like they, they just get some unexplainable mojo. Um, feels like bad radio because there's no stats or like, evidence to back it up it just feels like they get positive vibes when they play and they like play better than their capacity could they kind of raise each other up whereas we tend to go insular and i feel like we get nervous and play below where we could doug do you think it's because i the the idea that i've heard before is that we are our own brands right the american golfer is a brand unto itself. And so Bryson walks around with just his camp around him. You know, uh, Jordan walks around with his camp around him. And so they are very much an individual business. Whereas the Europeans, even though they have their own entourages, I feel like they'll have a pint with each other kind of vibe. And whereas I don't necessarily get that vibe. Is it just as simple as, less stress and so like hey do the europeans take this a little lighter i know it seems counterintuitive but it's like hey we're gonna go out with the boys we're gonna play some golf and have fun today 
and the Americans have to listen to American media say, God, why do you guys suck all the time? And is Bryson going to play with Brooks and yada, yada. And man, you're so good. You guys should win. And does that pressure build so that they can't play loose? I think you're onto something there too. The, uh, they definitely the, the Europeans definitely feel like they have a this is like a buddy's trip type of vibe to them, you know. Even to what three years ago when they were like recording all those like funny videos of Fleetwood and uh, Molinari like sleeping with the trophy and just like very <laughs> clearly we're like in a good good headspace the whole time. Now granted they're winning, but I think they go hand in hand. Um, so maybe it's more that like the American, we're probably like overstating the pressure thing for the Americans right. and uh, individualistic stuff. But I do think the Europeans just like get into just like a 12 man buddies trip. We're having a ton of fun uh, and it works. Well, they too, like it's, it's almost like other sports, right? Where you need role players to win games, right? And other sports, you need, you need the guys to hold everything or the girls to like, hold the team together. It's the not big just, shot Bob Ories, if you will. Yeah. And looking at the European team, you just, you feel like those are those guys. And, you know, DeChambeau doesn't scream to me, uh, go win an alternate shot match. Yeah. Brooks doesn't, Brooks doesn't shout to me, Hey, go win this four ball match. Like, <laughs> And and the the one of the ultimate glue guys I think could be Finau, but he's a laid back he cat, yeah. But he doesn't. I'm not like, oh, I want to be his alternate shot partner. It's just like, it's weird. I feel like the European team just seems super consistent. We know what they're going to do. We know what we're going to get. And the U.S. team is, hey, we could get hot and go super super low. We can also spray it everywhere. So I I like this because I wonder, like I'm looking at the European team on my screen. And one of the things that I think of as we talk about laid back guys, I'm curious because some of their cats can be mercurial, right? So like Tyrrell Hatton can get a little red ass if you want to. John Rahm is noted for his temperature on the golf course. Sergio Garcia can run a little hot, see his bunker gate in uh, Saudi Arabia or Dubai or wherever that was. Victor Hovland strikes me as like a guy who, I don't even understand what planet that guy's on. But like, I feel like they have some guys, Ian Poulter can get the angry eyes a little bit. So they're not as laid back as you would normally think, right? And so I wonder if, if they're not playing as well, might they see a little bit of that temperament come out? Now with Tyrrell, we kind of laugh about it, right? Some A lot of his anger is self-deprecating almost sometimes, but I, I've never looked at like attitudes or behaviors as I started thinking about this. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think what's crazy about it though, is you think of all those guys that you just mentioned and they have these outbursts but they don't ever seem to have them in the Ryder cup. They seem to be like, we're here for the team where we might get upset, but ultimately we're here for the, we're, we're here for each other. And I think those individual meltdowns occur, mm -hmm. but it seems to occur when they're the individual and not necessarily uh, as a team. So. One of the, one of the things that I heard that I, I can't verify this, but I just heard it is that, the European individuals were aghast at some of the American pairings. As far as stats go, uh, they said before the last Ryder Cup, when they saw who, which of the Americans were going to play with each other, they said the statistics didn't back it up. And the Europeans almost felt confident from the start because you had guys with different strengths not being paired together and how that would play out. And I thought that it was interesting only because like we talk about, you know, the 12 guys buddies trip or whatever. And then behind the scenes, you hear a, a little nugget like that. And you're like, wait a second. These guys are a little more smarter than we're giving them credit for. This isn't just like, let's go down some Guinness and hit some balls and then uh, and go home kind of thing. Like 
it sounds like they're pouring over the data and the minutia too as to why certain people work well together, how things work out. And I got to think with the millions of dollars being invested in this thing, I, I would hope our captains, our Stricker and the like, and whoever behind the scenes is doing enough analyzation to where that's not totally true. And that it's not just like, uh, let's pick out the rain gear and say, all right, Jordan, you and uh, Justin are playing together. Let's go. All right, have fun. Uh, hopefully there's more to it than that. Uh, Doug, are you excited for this being in your backyard? Absolutely. We're uh, Allison and I are going up there Thursday for a practice round. Uh, it'll be fun just to like, I don't know, watch them play a course that I've played a bunch. It's, uh, I don't know, always fun as well just to hear people talk about your home state in a positive light and a big event there. But I think more so just like being at a place I've played a bunch is always really interesting because then like every single shot they're hitting, it's not just like here's a random golf shot to green I don't know. It's like, oh, this is the tee shot on the sixth hole. I know there's a few different options on the shorty. I'm curious what they're going to do. And um, I don't know, it feels like it's a much more enriching experience. Well, and you realize – and you're able to really understand the different game that they play. Like, um, what's the par five on the front? I think it's like three or four. It's that S curve par oh, five, five. Yeah. Five. And it's like, I have to hit my drive straight and then go over and play the. And they talk about the lines that these guys are taking from tees behind me and basically going over the water and cutting off a lot of that dog leg. And you're just, you're in awe because like I said, it's so much fun to see them play a course that you have know the difficulties that it contributes to. And just to see them tear it up. Like I remember watching Jordan and Jason day shoot 20 under whatever it was when it was at the peak 20 under (laughs) that's ridiculous. That's absurd. Uh, So I am very much excited for it too. And I believe your dad is still volunteering for this, correct? He is, yeah. Does he He'll have his assignment yet? Does he know what he's doing? Um, uh, he does. He told me, and I forgot. So this is okay. I didn't know if it was like top secret CIA stuff. We couldn't. Uh... No, I think he's on the course. So he's done. He's volunteered at all the PGA championships there, and he's had one year at least. He was working like the something in like back of house essentially. Didn't have yeah. a, and he said never again, essentially. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Mike's not a parking lot attendant kind of guy. We need him on <laughs> the course, all right? Uh, let, let's find out. So uh, we'll do some we'll do some reconnaissance. We'll find out where Mike's going to be uh, posted up, and I look forward to, to hearing some of his thoughts. All right. Uh, just a, that was just a little tease for Ryder Cup. I will say there was only one other little nugget in the news, and that had to do with Patrick Reed. Of course, Patrick refuses to just kind of go gently into that good night. Uh, some social media drama with Mr. Reed after the announcement of the Ryder Cup team, his Twitter account, his team. Surely not him, right? Wink, wink. I don't know how all this works, but started liking a lot of posts that were calling Steve Stricker some names about leaving Captain America off the team and how this is fuel for the Europeans that Patrick Reed is not on there. And we are a shell of a team without Patrick Reed. Uh, And so uh, conveniently, Patrick got a lot of blowback from that and has since unliked all of those things as if that's going to put the genie back in the bottle and we'll all pretend like we didn't see it and know it's happening. Uh, Todd, my question to you is, does Patrick Reed stand a snowball's chance in hell of ever being a captain's pick for any team event? Uh, Just to remind people, before this Ryder Cup, the last President's Cup was right after his cheating <clears throat> scandal uh, with his shovel in the bunkering, touching the bunker sand. And then he just went nuclear about his partnership with Tiger Woods and everything like that. So this is not a isolated incident with this gentleman. Todd, what do you think? Are, no. Have we seen the last of Patrick Reed? Yeah, unless he starts playing really well and gets into the top eight, he is... Uh... He's out. Like they're not going to put him on the team because he like 
when he was Captain America, he was the glue guy. He was the team guy, and he re- people were rallying around him. And now people are now just he's like, Bane. He's yeah. Bane from Batman now. You're nobody, like, <laughs> nobody I don't want to. I don't want to play with this guy because they know that it's not about anyone else. It's about if if he doesn't like the pairing, he's going to go crazy, um, and he just might do something stupid. But you can't have that happen, you know. Yeah, Doug, you agreed. Yeah, it's as long as it's optional. Why would you choose to bring that into the team room, into the event, uh, from both an athletic standpoint and just like a, I'm trying to put on a fun event? Like it feels like that's a lot of additional stress. Uh, and like you said, he didn't play very well the last couple of times. So I, he's not yeah. in Captain America anymore. <laughs> he had the one round against Rory, that and that's about it. Off. Yeah. And and going back to like the talk about the European team as a 12 man buddy trip, no one seems to want to have a buddy trip with Patrick Reed. So no, no. like, what are you doing? Uh, and I don't know if it was quietly or not so quietly, but I felt like the vibe was always the guys kind of iced Bubba Watson uh, through a couple of Ryder Cups in the past and I feel like he's kind of changed his image a little bit since then, or people have come around to who he is and maybe he was just a little bit different. And I, but unfortunately I think now he's past his prime, but I think if he would have qualified or if he played well enough, I think he would be accepted. Uh, But I feel like this is kind of like Bubba S. So if a player like that, who doesn't really churn a lot of waves can kind of not so quietly be blackballed off the team or whatever the rumors kind of be. I got to feel like Patrick is persona non grata at these things and uh, play well, Patty. Use that as fuel, I guess, if you want to be on these teams, because I don't see any captain coming to call. And honestly, if I if you want me to root for the Americans, you can't have him on your team. He's like a clubhouse cancer, right? Like I I just ugh. Bryson's enough in general for me. So I couldn't imagine if you had both of those clowns on there. All right. Anyway, <coughs> sorry. So Patrick, good luck. Uh, we're all pulling for you here. All right. Uh, a couple of other things since it was quite weak. I was looking at some stories and I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on two things that caught my eye. Uh, recently, this was just before the Solheim Cup. Mel Reed had a little story in Golf Magazine about how over COVID, it gave her a sense of down. It gave her some downtime that she doesn't normally have during the season. And one of the things she noticed, because she's based out in Jupiter, Florida, like a bunch of the male pros, uh, that she spent a bunch of time, I believe it's Floridian National Golf Club, and she uh, practiced or was on the range and on the course with Kepka, McElroy, Fowler, all those guys that kind of make their home base out of there. And she said one of the things that caught her eye was how little they practice, hold on, in comparison to playing. And she noticed that they don't sit there and just hit 157 irons from perfect conditions on a driving range grass fairway that they're out they're out working on their game. They need it in game like situations and because you don't ever hardly ever have the perfect lie situation out there. And so her idea is that she said that's what she would encourage juniors to do. She says she she sees far too many players spending time on the driving range, learning how to dial in shots on under perfect conditions, but they lose learning how to play the shots they'll need on the course. So she always tells juniors, don't practice play. Get out and play as much as you can. Doug, you are our instructional guru of note. You have been under the golf tech lab for a number of years. Is Mel Reed accurate in what she says? Do you find some credence to what she's saying or would you push back on that? It probably, there's credence to it. I think you need a a certain amount of skill for that to apply. I think uh, golf is a unique sport where if you don't have kind of a minimum amount of uh, ability to hit the golf ball, then 
like you can only advance so far on the course because you need a certain amount of reps of just like, how do I do this when you're learning to play? Um, so I would say there is certainly value in doing a ton more practice than playing when you're just starting out learning the game. But if you've got a swing that's pretty locked in, you're not looking to make a ton of changes to it. And you're like, all right, how can I go from, you know, shave five strokes off my game? I think she's speaking a ton of truth. Um, and would, would, would agree with her on that point. I've certainly seen some improvement in just getting out there and playing a bunch and, uh, I don't know, seeing shots. There's a lot to like seeing a shot in from a variety of different places on a course. Whereas in a driving range, you just kind of see one shot over and over. And I think I can vouch for that in seeing, uh, my two children play, right? Colin has logged in a bunch of hours swinging. He has, you know, the hand-eye coordination, he started to put those things together. And so going out on the course is more fun for him because he needs to work on shots out of the rough, right? He doesn't have the wrist strength yet. And so I want him to continue to practice knowing what it feels like to have to hit shots like that, that he doesn't get on the range. My daughter, on the other hand, who is still probably, you know, doesn't have that baseline that you're referring to, yeah, I think she gets annoyed being on the course because mm-hmm. it's not replicable. She, you know, she's already she's just trying to work on the basics. And now you're going to add a side hill, downhill lie to a shot and ask her to pull that off, too. Uh, there's too many variables at play there. And so she's not going to benefit from that. So I think you're right. I think we have to I think Mel has to kind of quantify or qualify that it's uh, for juniors of a certain level, I would say, it's mm-hmm. not just for everybody. Todd agree. Yeah. I actually thought when I read the article that she did kind of say juniors at a certain level, right. I could be wrong, but I thought she did say that. And that was the thing that okay, I was going to question me. You're out. Mm-hmm. That's, you're what I was gonna, <laughs> that's what I was going to point out is that I think from a, from a perspective of you are good enough to go out and play and learn something. Mm-hmm. I forgot this is crazy. I read the article and then I forgot like 10 seconds later that it was about, <laughs> that it was about juniors. Right. And I immediately and- started thinking to myself, like, <laughs> that's great to go out and be like, I'm going to just go play instead of practice. But I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, but to, for me as an adult to go play golf, it's two hours to play nine, it's four to play 18. And there's a big difference between like, uh, a tour level player going out and playing on a course and stopping and like, I'm going to stand and I'm going to hit these bunker shots on this, this hole and practice on the course versus somebody who's out just playing on a public course. And I think that works too, from junior, you know, from a junior level golf too, if you're out with your friends and you're like, I want to go play, you can't exactly just go out and practice on the course unless you are that like high level junior and, or you are at a country club and you have that opportunity or something like that. So it's after 3 PM. Yeah. After 3 PM. It's exactly what both of you guys said. You need a certain level to be able to go out and do it. But 100%, if I could go out and play an hour's worth of golf, instead of hitting balls on the range or practicing, I would do it every time. But I don't think everybody has that opportunity. Juniors are a little more flexible. And for me, I need to find that balance because I know my short game needs to get better and I'll go to our short game area and I have every intention of like, okay, I'm going to hit 10 balls with my 54. I'm going to hit 10 balls to this target with my 58 and I'm going to check the results and see the dispersions and all these kinds of things. And then I find my mind wandering after about 15 minutes because I feel like all I've done is muscle memory of the same chip. Like once I see what it takes to hit that chip to that hole two or three times and you got the feel, then you're just on autopilot. And I feel like you're just hitting that shot. And I don't know if it necessarily translates to the course. So I think part, part of it is definitely me, right? I have to figure out drills that take that monotony away from it. And so that I'm trying to practice like I would play and vary my targets or what I'm trying to do. But, you know, 
we don't always have access by ourselves to a chipping green area to like suddenly like tell guys, Hey, hold up over here. I'm about to play to this hole and now I need to hit some flops over here. And so it's, it becomes a challenge, but I also just mentally, I can only do it for so long. And then I just want to go play. I find Mm -hmm. my form breaks down or something like that. I shank a couple. And the next thing you know, practice session ends with me yelling F-bombs under my breath and saying I'm the worst golfer ever or something like that. So uh, I'll just go play. Fair. Um, All right. The other thing that drew my eye, this was a little bit older. I've had this uh, in the hopper for a little while. We've just bit on other things is the – the clickbaity headline is, will lower scores improve happiness? And what it was is this kind of article, Dear Younger Me kind of um, letter that's kind of gone around the golf meme kind of thing about, are we truly happy? Would shooting a lower score make us happier? And the the premise is the guy kind of says, if you ask any golfer, what would make them happy? Most of us kind of say, oh, if I could shave five strokes off my game or if I could, you know, break 90 or break 80 or whatever your next little goal is, then you're going to be satisfied with your game. And his whole idea is that we spend so much time on the golf course chasing these goals that a lot of times they're unattainable that we keep saying one of these days I'll get it or one day I'll get there. And guess what? We wake up and we're 65 and we're not there and we didn't get there. And so did we truly enjoy the happiness of the game? And he has this kind of philosophical thing about uh, was I the best kind of, I don't know, partner, parent, teammate kind of thing. Uh, What if going forward, I made the success of my playing partners, however you define success, your primary objective? Would you enjoy golf more if you didn't create results-based connection to it, right? And so it's like, at what cost is having a great golf game worth it to you if you haven't stopped and smelled the roses, you haven't appreciated the walks you've had, Like you go to Pebble Beach and get pissed that you shot 81 and not 79 instead of enjoying the uh, Carmel Bay and stuff like that. Right. So uh, since I started with Doug last time, Todd, do you do you find credence in that? Do you find yourself getting so caught up in the number that you forget like, oh, this is supposed to be for fun. This is playtime. Why can't I just hit it down there and hit it again? Why is happiness tied to results? Well, I think it depends on what your own outlook in golf is um, and maybe not even golf, just your own outlook on, on things. So I used to play in a golf league and there were people who were really not good at golf. And I would question <laughs> like, why do you want to go play nine holes and have a good time doing it, but shoot 60 in and then I'd think to myself, if I wasn't, if I was shooting 60 on nine consistently and not getting any better, what's the motivation to do it? Are we trying to get better or are we just out there because we have fun and it doesn't matter? So if you're wired that way and it's something that you just like to do, then sure, then shooting a lower score may or may not make you any happier. I find that my own personal goals. Mm -hmm. When I walk off the golf course, if I feel like I hit the ball, well, I'm generally happy. Yeah. Whether, whether that's an 81 or a 79 or an 86, if I, if I hit the ball, well, then I can walk away thinking I did what I was trying to do. I hit the ball. Um, I get frustrated, not by score, just by, by that going on. Having said that, um, (laughs) Having said all of that, you just and, cro- you're gonna crossfire yourself. You're gonna debate yourself here, kind of. But like having said that, the goal for a lot of us is to play golf. To yes, like you you have self admitted. Hey, if the golf course is by water, you're gonna enjoy yourself more. 
And I think we all play golf courses. And when we get done with a hole, we look back and say, that was a really cool hole. Like, I really like yeah. that about the hole, the, the course. Um, but we want to, there's, there's a standard that we want to try to live up to. And if we make that standard without some kind of crazy uh, concession, then sure, if I could shoot lower scores, then from a golf perspective, I would be happier. Do you think... Uh, I'm going to ask this to you, Todd, and then Doug, I'll come over to you. Todd, if we play pickup hoops and we're just playing around and you shoot, I don't know, two for 10 instead of six for 10 or something like that, does that affect your happiness of playing pickup when we know, oh, it's playtime, we're going to hang out with each other, you know, we're, we're, we're playing together. There's like, I feel like, there's friendship involved and we're just having fun. And I think you would care less shooting two for 10. If you shot that versus six for 10, like you would be able to deal with it. If we go out and play golf together and you shoot 91 versus 78, that has an effect, a different effect, I feel like. And so to me, I, I wonder, and maybe you don't feel this way, but I can separate my own gains from enjoyment. Like in basketball, I'm not trying to be an NBA player. So if I shoot two for 10, whatever, I was out there with you guys. But I also know I'm not a professional golfer and I'm not going to shoot 72 or whatever. But yet I get far more frustrated shooting an 81 than I would if I had a crappy basketball shooting day. Do you, do you know what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. And I think part of it goes into what do you spend some of your time doing, right? So... I used to play in a weekly basketball game. And when I'd play in that weekly basketball game. There are too many game, leagues. I got this, this golf like league. I got this basketball league. What's going like, on, man? I don't do any of that anymore. Well, you're 40 um, now. So, yeah, I understand. So, well, hey, 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 almost. <laughs> um, but I think when you, when you go and you play weekly, you have that expectation of, hey, I want to go out here and I want to play weekly. And I want to make some shots because I'm putting my effort into this. And so as we play golf, whether we play two hours a week or 10 hours a week, we're putting time into that, into that sport. We're putting time and effort away from other things to do that. And so I think if you're putting more time in, you're going to get more frustrated with not having a result. Even if you are realistically thinking, I'm not a professional and I'm not likely to shoot 72 Right. Yeah. Doug, I'm curious from your side, because now with a child, you have all this newfound perspective that <laughs> beforehand, bef before Isaac, I would have said, yeah, Doug's chasing the dream. Let's get the handicap as low as possible. This is my passion. I have the time and ability to spend towards this goal that I've created for myself, atomic habits, all those kinds of great things. And I'm curious I know you've played far less golf in the past four months than you would have if this was a normal summer. And so has that appreciation changed because golf has been not taken away? It makes it sound like you resent Isaac or something like that. But like yeah, yeah. when you get to play, do you feel that enjoyment coming back that you might have lost touch of when you were playing two or three times a week? Um. I don't know if I lost any enjoyments or feel like I've gained more personally, but what resonated a lot in that article was the idea of focusing on the enjoyments of your playing partners and just like the, like if my foursome or the people I'm playing with, if like they're having a great time or if I'm focused on like the I don't know, vibe of the group or something like that, um, not to think I've got some, crazy amount of influence on how a bunch of other people feel that's uh i don't know a little bit vain but i think there's i have become much more appreciative of just like i'm hanging out with friends for a couple hours like uh, yes i played nine holes yesterday with uh luke who you guys know who's also yeah. got a kid who's less than one and, and a couple other friends john and, and logan who i just met and it was like you know i had to kind of stop and think five holes in what I had been shooting. Cause I was just like enjoying talking to these people and walking around um, and trying to make sure they enjoyed it too. So that I have friends to keep playing golf with. So uh, I don't know. I really, I, I think that is a supreme nugget of truth. I think if I 
and focused on, hey, is this group having fun and are we having fun together and uh, building people up and trying to compliment them? Like I'm way more enjoying the round no matter what I shoot. All right. This is this is a tip and Todd's going to get mad that I tell you this because um, when it comes to Augusta Cup, that's almost the mentality that I have is that I don't care about the result because I'm isolated in St. Louis from you guys. Like I can't tell you how much I circle those dates on the calendar, not because we're playing for a trophy, but because I get to spend time with my friends, right. And be on the golf course. And there's a lot of times where I, uh, fascinate and get frustrated over scores, but those days are less about competition really. And it's more about, Oh, I get to play golf with my friends and be away. It's like summer camp for the boys kind of thing. And so I, in a, in a small way that takes pressure off of me to just Uh say, there is nothing else I have to worry about except hit a golf shot. And somehow that frees me up, right? And coaching Todd, I mean, not that you need coaching, right? But like when we're playing alt shot, talking through strategy or going, uh, what is best for him and trying to figure out how can I put him in the most advantageous situations or Dave or, you know, pumping somebody up before putt. Like that's the fun part of it or the E nines that we do afterwards. Mm -hmm. Like all of that stuff is what matters. And so, um, that's been the secret to my success. Anyway, I, I don't espouse, like, I don't think that you're like overly trying or anything like that. Right. So I don't think well, this I is think I was, I, I think, it'll, I think it'll be a lot different next time. I think I've gone into those events like where playing a full weekend of golf wasn't as unique. So maybe to your point earlier, like yeah. I, and you know, and you're playing well, you're like, Hey, it'd be really fun to like, I don't, I've never played high school golf. I've never played college golf. Here is like a chance to have a bit of a competition and feel like I'm, thriving from a score perspective in it and then you get psyched out and i think the next time we do that i will absolutely just be thankful i'm playing with people for a few days exactly and and that's a challenge maybe to all three of us and dave if he's listening he can be challenged too next time we get out whether that's three days from now or three weeks from now i think let's make the goal not so much on the score and just kind of enjoying the walk and noticing something about our course that we different for uh, Doug, for you and I, because I know we play the same course over and over and over again at this point. Like, what's something new that we didn't notice before? Some some sort of detail about the maintenance shed or some flower bed that I hadn't paid attention to or something. So I'm going to try and notice something unique that because I'm so non-peripheral, it's kind of like, all right, I hit it to here. I know exactly that I'm going to pull a seven iron here and I have to hit it just over this right edge of this bunker to do X. And uh, I'm going to try and not be so process oriented. That's my goal. Yeah. And I find playing with my my son helps out a lot because I'm busy coaching him through shots. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, sometimes I get annoyed. I'm like, all right, we want to play this just off the left edge of this bunker. And it's like, oh, why'd you hit it way right? Like, it's kind of like when we get caddies at good courses, they tell us where to hit it. And I don't <laughs> and I don't execute. And I'm like, oh, maybe I need to lay off my son just a little bit on that. So, uh, all right. Well, I was excited. Uh, I think that's all I really had for tonight. Any other topics that I didn't hit on, boys? Nope. Shaking uh, your heads. That's yeah. great radio. People can't see you sh- hear you shake your head. <laughs> so I'll say no for you. Uh, I actually, despite spending a lot of time with my kids this week, they didn't really do anything crazy. So I don't have any any crazy uh, kid stories this week. Todd, anything from you? No. Um, from a from a personal standpoint, I have two words that would describe my week. Okay. Poison ivy. Oh, uh, for so yourself or for others? For me, I got it. Ugh. I got it up and down both my arms. Um, I got it on my neck. I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. It's 90 degrees in Cincinnati, and I've worn a long sleeve shirt the last three days. Um, from because when I wake of all up, the welts to just like out of sight, out of mind. Like if I yeah. can't see it, then maybe it's not there. Um, it's not ideal, but we're working Ugh. through it. Uh, Actually, now that you said, and I'm sorry to hear that, but uh, I did come up with something. And just apropos of the weekend, we had bought the Disney bundle that comes with like Disney, ESPN Plus and Hulu. 
and I'll be honest, Hulu was just a throwaway. I never logged on to it for like the past seven months that we've had this thing or whatever. I just use it to watch ESPN on my phone and the Disney Channel or Disney Plus, obviously. But National Geographic uh, just launched the 9-11 documentary series on Hulu. And so we watched the first episode with our kids and it was jarring and emotional and I forget that this is a historic event to them and uh-huh. that they did not experience it in the same way or have the connection to it in the same way that we do. And so seeing the video of the planes crashing into it and our kids are just amazed. And then sadly, there's footage of people jumping out of the buildings and watching your daughter like turn into the couch because it's emotional and you hear the thud on the ceilings of the body's landing. And it's just so visceral and so powerful. And I'm ha- I'm happy in the sense that we're watching it with them to help unpack some of it and help them through it. Cause I think they need to know about it. And so there was some serious, I joke about us watching, you know, Rain Man and Ferris Bueller and all that kind of stuff. But uh, this weekend was a little bit of a history lesson and that it was a, it was a good time family bonding to talk through an event of that magnitude together. So uh, that was ours. Now that I think about it. Yeah. And just to touch on it, like, as, as you mentioned, we're all like close around the 40 ish age and <laughs> Doug's still got a few years to go. That's yeah. why I said a <laughs> yeah, big, a big around, a big around. <laughs> um, but, but that day is like the big, big moment that like I can remember mm-hmm. that I like the big global moment that happened that I remember. Cause I know talking to my mom, she remembers when, you know, where she was when, JFK got shot and when landed on the moon and all these things. And were you a freshman at UC? Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was about to be a sophomore. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I remember where I was. It's the, it's the one major event that I can just remember so much about the entire day. And it's weird to have that perspective. Um, looking back on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. Doug, any stories this week of Isaac or anything uh, happening? Uh, yeah, real quick. He had his first swimming lesson this week. And it Let's was go. Super cute. <laughs> there uh, we go. Is this like swim lessons or is this like that baby survival where you teach them to float on their backs kind of thing? Oh, not even that. Uh, okay. It's called Parent Tot. Uh, yep. <laughs> my wife actually used to teach it when she was in high school. Uh-huh. Uh, we're going to the same place. So it's uh, fun for her. Could have been two ways to for yeah. this. but. Yeah, you get one parent in the water with a kid, and there's like so five, or like four or five parents and kids and an instructor, and it's essentially like a half hour of like every two minutes. It's like let's like have them try to kick this ball, or let's like uh, have them like bounce up and down, okay. or uh, we'll have them go sit on the ledge, and then we'll guide them back into the water. It's all about feeling comfortable in water essentially is what you're so not for. just baptizing them in the pool and then blowing on their face and hoping <laughs> that we didn't traumatize them or something exactly gotcha. trying to make it a positive experience he coming into the pool wasn't great he hadn't slept well all day and he finally like went down for a big nap like 15 minutes before we had to leave so we had to wake him up from that he didn't like the shower before getting in the pool so he was bawling his eyes out <laughs> when we got in there uh but no one likes that shower no, no. no. Uh, I love we'll living vicariously through Doug and remembering these stories and just like, oh, yeah, thanks for reminding me <laughs> of doing that with my own kids. This is fantastic. Yeah. So uh, we're going to do that. We have like a group of there's two two other families that are doing it with us. So every Wednesday we're going to do that for a half hour. We might go grab margaritas afterwards, make it a bit of an outing for us. So we'll have fun with it. Oh, fantastic. Love that. Love it. Yeah. Swimming in marks. Let's go. Uh, All right, boys. Well, let's call it a wrap. Uh, We'll be back next week for our Ryder Cup breakdown. Uh, Luckily, all of us have played the course. So uh, I haven't played it as many times as Doug. I think I have two rounds under my belt. Uh, Doug, how many rounds have you played there, if you had to guess? Uh, Four or five. 
four or five, and Todd, I think you're at the one, right? Yep. So we bring some expertise into this. Uh, we'll break down some holes. Uh, for, I can at least talk from the green tees what they look like. I don't know what they're like from the backpacks, but uh, we'll discuss and maybe talk strategy. And uh, if we were captains, what's our strategy for pairings and singles play? And what's the best uh, lineup that you can put out there? So. Uh, Join us next Monday for that lively discussion. And then we're two weeks away from Ryder Cup. I'm excited. Yes. All right, boys. Have a good one. Peace. Bye.